I'm not the best at the Hallmark Sundays, um, but I have a chance to uh, praise my mother in public because uh, she's the person by far the most instrumental in any of my life with God. My uh, story is, Jesus loves me, this I know, for my mother told me so. And uh, I'm happy that that's my story. And I hope she watches the tape. Um, <laughs> we're going to be in Mark chapter 5. That text is printed in your bulletin, or if you have a Bible with you, you can follow along uh, in that chapter, in the middle of the chapter. We've been going through this Gospel of Mark, and it's, it's a little bit like a visit to Epcot Center. You know, it's kind of a future world on display, because Jesus, who has come, says to fix his broken world, that he made good, but that we've ruined and distorted in all sorts of ways, that he's come to fix that, and he's putting these little uh, intrusions of the future on display for us as people are healed, and as people's lives are restored and rehumanized, and uh, these uh, bizarre miracles that we see in his life are like little glimpses of how the world will be when it's normal again, when it's the way God made it to be, when Jesus' work is finished. And uh, in the passage we have before us today, we've got two instances that are dramatic miracles. Um, one is the healing of a woman who has had uh, blood flow for 12 years and is completely hopeless about it. And the other, uh, a 12-year-old girl who is the daughter of the synagogue ruler, uh, Jairus, uh, dies and is raised by Jesus, which is the most unusual of miracles that we see in the Gospels. Um, and, but we've seen things like this before in the Gospel of Mark. The funny thing about this passage is the juxtaposition, because uh, the events are sort of sandwiched together, and the reaction of the people involved is very much dependent on what else is going on in the story. And so what it gives us is not only a picture of what Jesus has come to do to fix us and help us and rescue us, but... Also, what does it mean to try to have trust in Him and live a life of faith in Him while we wait for the world to be fixed? And uh, it's a pretty poignant window into that. So that's what we're going to think about together. Let me pray for us, and then we'll read the Scripture. Father, we ask that You would open our hearts and our minds to You. We're here because we need You and we want to know You and we need Your help. So please come and meet with us. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, read with me, beginning at verse 21 of Mark 5. It says, When Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered around him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come, lay your hands on her so that she may be may be made well and live. And he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. She'd heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I'll be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? His disciples said to him, 
you see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. And while he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. And they came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside, and he took the child's father and mother and those who were with him, and he went in where the child was. And taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this. And he told them to give her something to eat. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. I was trying to think of an analogy of what Jairus went through as he was seeing these events unfold. And I thought it would be like if you were hiking way up in the Catalinas with your daughter and she gets bit by a rattlesnake. And you're like, oh, I'm, we're so far. Uh, from any kind of help, and your heart's in your throat, do everything you can to get back down the mountain, get in the car, go through every 30 mile an hour speed limit in Tucson, and finally get to the hospital, race into the emergency room, doctor sees you, and you say, my daughter's been bit by a snake, and it's been a while before we were able to get here, and I'm terrified, I think she's about to die. The doctor says, yeah, she is, uh, it looks it looks really dire. It looks really terrible. I'll be with you just in a minute after I finish with Mrs. Smith. Now, Mrs. Smith, tell me again about your back. I mean, I know it's been a chronic problem for you for years. You say it went out again on you this week. And you're like, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. I'm sorry for Mrs. Smith, but this is urgent. She's going to die. What are you doing? I'll be with you as soon as I finish with Mrs. Smith. Now, Mrs. Smith, tell me again. How did your back go? <laughs> I don't know what kind of apoplexy uh, you'd be going through at that point, but you'd be losing it in some significant way. Um, I can't see how what Jesus did in this passage is being any more bewildering than that. Um, As he stops to care for this woman with the chronic problem uh, when Jairus' daughter is at the very point of death. Um, And so often... In the life of faith, we have bewilderment about Jesus and what he's doing in our lives. I don't have any idea why you were doing it this way. Why in the world? If you could make this circumstance different, are you not? And how long until you do? And a big part of the difficulty of the life of faith for Christians in this world is that bewilderment, that waiting, and learning what does it mean for us to trust him when we don't understand him very much at all. 
And so I want us to think about that question kind of through three sets of eyes in this story. Uh, First, uh, through this woman's eyes. And what a story she must have had. So 12 years, she's had this malady, and it's broken her. You know, just, and her whole life is broken. Socially, you know, she can't marry. Mother's Day is a terrible day for her. She can't have children. Um, Gosh, socially, generally, she can do very little because she's perpetually, ceremonially unclean because of this malady. That means that she's dirty religiously. And it means that anybody that touches her is dirty religiously, which is brutal. Um, This is her life. And she hasn't done anything wrong, but you know how shame works. You know, she's ashamed of who she is, and she feels dirty, even though she hasn't done anything to deserve this. She's broke because she spent all her money on doctors that couldn't help. Um, Her dignity is gone. I mean, probably a long time ago, and her hope is gone probably a long time ago. You know, and she realizes with pretty good theological insight that when she sees Jesus, that he isn't just here to rescue us from our sins, um, but also from our sorrow and from our shame. Because sorrow and shame uh, hurt us as much as our guilt does often. And she understands this somehow, at least feels like, that he'll be able to heal her and help her with what's wrong with her. And she sees what's going on in the crowd. Jesus is helping the person she kind of would expect him to help, right? This is the uh, prominent leader of the synagogue. Um, He's a man. And so surely on the pecking order of life that she's learned the hard way firsthand, that's who gets help when they need help, not me. Um, And so she figures, well, that's that's just the way it is, but maybe, maybe if if I could sneak up there somehow and just touch his garment that it would help me, that he would heal me. And somehow, in some mixture of desperation and faith, and I don't know where the line between desperation and faith are, but it's, it's fuzzy, she gets to him and uh, touches his garment, and it heals her, which is astounding. Her faith is interesting, right? Um, she seems pretty sure that Jesus can help her. But she's also pretty sure that he's reluctant. Like, she can't just go ask him. That's an interesting faith, isn't it? I know he can. I just don't suppose he would for me. I've never been like that, have you? (laughs) Um, She probably figures he'll be repulsed by her like everybody else is. He's the rabbi. Man, being in the temple is everything. And if he touches me, he's ceremonially unclean. And he can't be in the temple, so surely he can't. He doesn't want to touch me, but I'm desperate. What do you do? And this beautiful thing happens. It happens when unclean people touch Jesus. Jesus doesn't get dirty. They get clean. (laughs) He takes the hand of the daughter later in the story. To touch a dead person makes you ceremonially unclean. But he doesn't get dirty. She gets clean. But you understand kind of why she has this apprehension about Jesus and faith in him. Because... On one hand, she thinks, well, he heals people. He could, he could help me. But on the other hand, you think, if he cared about me at all, why would my life be going this way? 
Like, if I try to read the tea leaves of God's plan in my life, it looks like he's repulsed by me too. That he hates me too. Because why would he let my life go this way? And when we start talking to ourselves like that, we almost always get it wrong. But somehow she overcomes that and touches him. And then he does a crazy thing. He stops. He's running to the deathbed of a girl who's about to die. And he stops. Mid-emergency. He says, who touched me? And she, first she lies. <laughs> Doesn't say anything. She won't admit it. And then she comes up and she's scared to death and falls down at his feet and tells him what she did. And he's not mad. He thinks what she did is great. He thinks it's beautiful. Um, he's, his attitude isn't, he's not repulsed by her. All that she assumed that God thought about her because of the circumstances of her life is false. He looks at her with love and his tenderness is palpable. And he calls her a daughter. <laughs> the rabbis calling her a daughter which has got to be the most dignifying word she's heard in 12 years. That he sees her. That he sees what's beautiful in her. He's going to rehumanize her. He's going to deliver her from her shame. He values her. And he says, your faith has made you well. And he doesn't mean because your faith got to the right level of strength, now you've earned healing. He's saying, your faith is in the right place. You're looking to the right person. And because of that, you're well. And then he says, go in peace. And, you know, to say peace as a Jewish person means a lot more than it means with us. It's shalom. Go in shalom. Go, go and experience some of the beauty and healing of what I made this world to be. And you haven't hardly gotten to experience it all. I want you to enjoy some of that now while you wait. Go in peace. And it's very beautiful. It's just beautiful. I mean... Um, to her, to have faith like this feels like it feels presumptuous. Why would God? Why would I assume God really loves and cares for me, and would be willing to help me? But the clues in her life are just going to mislead her. Why? Why did this have to go on for twelve years? Why have my prayers not been answered before now? Why do I have? I felt like a stepchild of God at best for all these years. I don't know, but it turns out He loves her, and He's tender towards her. All the things that she's surmised to herself about God's attitude are wrong. Deeply loves her. What do the disciples see while all this is going on? Opportunity. (laughs) Finally, someone that matters is joining our movement. Credibility is on the way. Wow, the synagogue ruler, Jairus, hey, look who's following Jesus now. This is great. We needed a little PR hit like this. You know, the poor people, you know, the sick people aren't doing us that much good. But here's an influencer. He's a gatekeeper. And man, if he comes, probably the whole synagogue will come with him. This will be great. Um, And then Jesus stops for this nobody. Prioritizes her over the influencer. And you notice in the story, Jesus refuses to make the celebrity a public figure in his movement. He makes everybody go away when he heals the daughter. Uh, But he makes this woman the public face of the movement. He says, look, this this is a movement about 
not coming to me so I'll give you success. It's about coming to me so I'll give you grace. And this woman is the trophy I want you to see when you try to understand what I'm here for, which is beautiful. I'm sure the disciples are more like me. They're like, yeah, but like if we can get the Christian celebrity to speak at the conference, you know, a lot of people are going to be impressed and become Christians. I feel pretty sure. I started to think about this, and I was thinking, who's left as Christian celebrities that we could use? <laughs> like, I didn't have a long list anymore. You know, who, who do you want to get for the conference? I don't know. Um, I guess Tim Tebow's still okay, right? I don't know. But, um, but Jesus just said, that's not the way my kingdom comes. And the disciples learned a big lesson when Jesus stopped for this woman when they never would have. They never would have. What does Jairus see? Synagogue ruler. He's desperate too. He's got one child, 12-year-old daughter. Um, and she's at the point of death. I mean, the mourner's already at the house. Um, he goes in desperation to Jesus. That's pretty sketch. Like if you told somebody in your family, I'm going to go see the faith healer that's traveling through town because I'm out of options, they would say, you know, they'd pat you on the head maybe and say, well, you know, bless your heart, but yeah, that's not going to work. And Jesus is sort of like the rival to the religious establishment already. And so for him, He's going to lose face with the other people in the synagogue, especially the other leadership in the synagogue, if he goes and goes and publicly begs Jesus to help him. But he's at his wit's end, so he goes. He does this. He's willing to risk that. Um, and Jesus says, okay, he goes with him, which is a little surprising, um, but that seems good. Maybe there's some hope. And then he stops in the middle of a crowd for somebody touched you? Are you kidding me? What do you mean you can't stop right now? Like It's like the ER situation. Like What do you mean? You can't stop right now. He's got to be bewildered. He's got to be despairing. He thinks we don't have a second to lose and he doesn't have a second to lose while Jesus stops and deals with this woman. His daughter dies. She dies. I don't know what you think if, you, if in that situation, and we're not really told what all he thought, but you can imagine the kind of things he might have thought. I mean, first one I would have probably thought was, after all I've done for you, really? Thanks, God. I served you. I get, I'm an employee, right? I'm the help. Like, I serve you, and I do all this, and I make sure all the chairs are straight at the, at the synagogue, and I do all this. You know, and all, I try to make everything orderly so other people can just enjoy you and it's great. And like, I'm just grist for your labor mill and I should have figured, you don't, you don't care anything about me. I'm, I'm just an employee, right? And uh, so why should I expect you to help me? And, uh, you know, I need you one time. One time. Bad. And this is what I get. Or maybe his prejudices get exposed. And he's like, uh, her woman broken poor dirty woman I mean I pity her I'm sorry for her I, I want, I'd be happy if she could get some help and stuff but come on I mean I've got a mental ranking order in my head somehow and she's lower and I'm higher and I don't say that out loud but I, it's in there and so really I don't know 
know, maybe he's thinking, maybe it's just me. Um, or maybe the internal hall monitor gets going at him. I think you probably have an internal hall monitor too, which basically is always there to accuse you and say, yeah, what do you really think God thought of you anyway, right? Of course he despises you. He's not a fool. Why would you think we help you? He knows you. He sees through all your religiosity and your propriety and your good manners at the synagogue and all that. You shouldn't expect him to care anything about it. You shouldn't be surprised when you find out that he doesn't. Remember Tommy Lee Jones in Old Country, No Country for Old Men? At the end of it, he said, I always figured that as I got older, God would sort of come into my life somehow. And he didn't. I don't blame him. If I was him, I'd have the same opinion of me that he does. It's easy to imagine Jairus feeling that kind of despair at this moment as well. And Jesus turns to him right after he's told his daughter dies and gives the worst grief counsel ever. If you have a what would Jesus do bracelet, don't do this. You're not Jesus. That actually applies a lot of the time. But don't look at somebody whose daughter just died and say, don't fear, only believe. Not what to say. Um, I don't know, how do you even interpret that, those words if you're generous at that point? What, what are you saying to me? And Jesus goes on towards his house and somehow, maybe out of shock, maybe he's got a little seed of faith left or something, he goes with him. He, he goes with Jesus back home where the mourners are already mourning because she's dead. And they're wailing. And then he goes home and has to see his wife who's just lost her only child by herself because Jairus decided to go off on some superstitious lark to go find the faith healer. And I had to be here by myself when my daughter died in my arms. Glad you're back. And uh, that's who you see. Her world has ended. And of course, she's broken apart. But Jesus goes in, he takes like a couple of disciples, and then he takes Jairus and his wife. She goes in there too. I, I'm, I'm amazed she went in. Right? She goes in there with him. And uh, it's private because he's not using them, he's loving them. He doesn't even want him to tell what happened afterwards. He even told everybody she's just asleep because he didn't want to use them as a spectacle for his ministry because he wasn't using them. He was loving them. And he raises her. This happens a couple of times. The widow at Nain has a son who's died and Jesus raises Lazarus. Jesus' friend is raised uh, very rare. Those are the only instances I can think of in Jesus' life and ministry besides his own resurrection. Um, and most waiting goes on beyond the grave in this life, right? but it's an amazing miracle. Uh, but he does this. Now, if you're Jairus, what do you think? I mean, you think, well, Jesus' timing is crazy. I don't understand the what's and why's about most of anything that's happened today. But he's raised my daughter. And she's well now. And all those things that were going through my head about 
what's wrong with him and what's wrong with me and what must he think of me and all that, all that was false. He, he actually is tender to me. He actually loves me. It's actually going to do good for me. I'm not just his employee. I'm his son. And now he can see that. What do you see when you look at the story? One thing you see is shalom on display. You see Jesus saying it is not okay in my kingdom for people to be sick for 12 years and degraded by it. And it is not okay in my kingdom for 12-year-old little girls to die. That's not okay. And when I've got the world set back right side up, it won't be that way anymore. The explanation for your suffering is not karma because you are some past, you did something and now you're paying for it. It's also not the hard, cold pragmatism of the West that says only the strong survive. This world's broken and it's supposed to hurt and it does hurt. And Jesus sees and he cares. He's not indifferent and he's fixing it. Just not yet. <laughs> Just not yet. So what's wrong? Do you want to have a baby in camp? Uh, you have children who are estranged from you or estranged from Jesus, and it breaks your heart. You're watching somebody on the Alzheimer's ward slowly fail to recognize you. Uh, job search, love life. What, all the things we pray about that wind up as seemingly unanswered prayers are the tests of our faith. Like, how do we trust Jesus when we don't understand His timing and we don't understand what He's doing in our lives. And it's at points like this where, as Tim Keller says, we have to talk to ourselves instead of listening to ourselves. Right? You know that line? Like you have to tell yourself what you know to be true. You have to read things like this and come and sing things like we just sang and remind yourself that you don't understand His timing and you're never going to, but you do understand His heart. Because He's given you His Son. And having given you His only Son, He's not going to be stingy or withholding to you going forward. So don't listen to yourself. Talk to yourself. And know the tenderness of Jesus that screams off this page is His tenderness for you. His timing is crazy. I'll admit it. <laughs> I don't understand it. But it is safe and right to trust in Him. Let's pray.